Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 52. I'm Evan Colbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week, we'll be talking about the Netflix original 2017 horror film, Gerald's Game. Written and directed by our favorite, Mike Flanagan. Flanagan. Who made Oculus, which we talked about on the podcast. And, and Before I Wake, which we also talked about on the podcast. <laughs> unfortunately. And Hush, which is a, a favorite of both of ours that we mm-hmm. have referenced a lot, but officially yeah. has not come on up on the roulette. Someday we'll do it on the podcast. It'll happen. Not yet. Roulette, give us Hush. Or we'll just ring it. We don't ever do that. Sure we have. We've chosen our movie before. We've chosen before. Before we get started, I would like to say that we're going to spoil this movie. Spoil the heck out of it. And it's a movie that kind of has a twist at the end. Yeah, it's not a good one, but it sort of does. But if you care about the integrity of that, this pretty much follows the Stephen King novel pretty exactly. So there's not much to surprise you there if you're a fan of that. No, but if you were going to watch it. Which you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're getting at here, right? Is that like, it? I wouldn't recommend it. It's not even that it's bad. It's just not. It's just not good. Let's get into it. So <laughs> this movie is based on the 1992 novel by Stephen King, which I have not read. Neither have I. But it it defies understanding to me how this is a novel because almost nothing happens. I assumed it was a short story. I can't believe it's like 300 something pages. The plot of this movie that we will move through very quickly so that we can talk about it is that Gerald and Jess, Jesse, Jesse, yeah, are husband and wife. He is much older than her. Mm-hmm. They go up to a cabin that they own uh, in a more remote part of who knows where Maine, probably, probably Maine. knowing Stephen King. <laughs> They're going to have some sex to spice some up their marriage. kinky sex. Yes, they're going to have some kinky sex to spice up their marriage. Sort of motivated by him, we quickly learn. Yes. So he, Gerald, handcuffs her to the bed. Bed posts. And then takes some Viagra. And then they start having an argument. We'll get into it. Yeah. And then he has a heart attack and dies. Yep. And then as he lays there bleeding out and a stray dog comes in to lap up the blood and then eat him, eat him. Uh, poor Jesse, who is bound to this bed with real ass handcuffs that she can't escape, mm-hmm. starts losing her mind and has visions of Gerald talking to her, of herself talking to her, mm-hmm. uh, eventually of her father, as there are flashbacks that go into more about her mm-hmm. history. And then the Moonlight Man, a very horrifying... Uh, man, Frankenstein-looking motherfucker. Lurch. Lurch, (laughs) who um, has a box full of shiny things that he collects magpie-esque from his victims. Um, And there's some suggestion that it's like, if you die alone, he's who kills you, right? Isn't that what you're saying? There's a lot of nonsense monologuing as if that these are well-known urban legends. But as far as I'm concerned, that's not But he just sort of lurks, um, and then... She so she not only has to escape these handcuffs before she dies of thirst or hunger, starvation, or starvation, or the dog eats her or, alive. Yeah, uh, or she also has to kind of escape him and give him something. So she struggles for an hour, a little bit more, and then she devises a plan to get free. She struggles for an hour of our time. Oh yes, <laughs> I 
thought you meant an hour per time. And I was like, no, it's a little longer No, it's a couple that. days. It's a couple days, yeah. Uh, for 60 minutes of screen time. Correct. She's just struggling against these stand cuffs. She figures out how to drink water. There's like, you know, stuff happens that and that. Uh, she escapes. She, we'll get into it. She gives the Moonlight Man her wedding ring. And then she goes on to live a life. And there's an epilogue that we will talk about because it's absolutely bonkers. It kind of ruins this movie. Yeah. Not kind of. It ru- I'll say it. It ruins this movie. But it deserves its own attention. That's the whole plot of this movie. So if you want to watch 90, 100 minutes of a woman struggling and talking to herself, that's this whole movie. Yeah. Which isn't, like, necessarily a bad structure. We'll no. talk. We'll talk more, actually, about how I kind of wish it was more of that. Well, I actually think it's a great idea for a play. Yes, it's a very good play. It abandons that concept. And no offense to Mike Flanagan, who I think does a very good job with the direction of this movie. A lot of the visual elements are very interesting. There are actually some scares. Oh my god, there are actually a few real scares. I Props to Flanagan. But the crux of this movie that's good, I think, is continuity of action. It's give us this woman talking to herself uh, through these various projections of her, her memory and her mind. Uh, in a room and just commit to that premise. I agree. It does not stick to that. Yeah. And it becomes kind of sappy and dumb. Yeah. Can we start getting into it? Yeah, of course. So there's... We've kind of already explained about Gerald and his various, you know, proclivities. He wants to have kinkier sex. The reason that they start fighting when she's handcuffed is because um, he wants to enact some sort of, like, rape fantasy. He wants her to be afraid. He wants her to not want it. And it's worth it. Like, it's specifically, like, bad BDSM Yes. Practices. Well, I mean, immediately, we they don't have a safe word. They, yeah. That's, like, established that, like, she starts yelling at him to stop, and he's like, oh, is this part of it? Like, are well, you getting into it? And, no and she's like, no. there was no prior discussion of what was that. She didn't know that there were going to be, like, real handcuffs. Right, right, right There was right, no right. prior discussion of what like their boundaries or what was going to happen. Right. He was just like, Oh, we're going to do new stuff. And yeah. she was he presumably totally did say, I want to tie you up. Cause she yeah. knew there was going to be some element of that, but she had no idea what that meant. I think she was and picturing he, like fuzzy Spencer's he gifts. Does, yes. Handcuffs. And he does a bad job specifically. We know because I immediately, she's tied up. He's dead on the floor. I was like, break your thumbs, girl, just get out of there. Like there are ways to get out of handcuffs. And then they talk about how, they're actually on too tight. She would break her thumb and still be stuck yeah. in there. So, of course, that to me also is like, he has no idea how to put on handcuffs because you need to put them on loose enough that in case there's an accident or something, this person would be able to get free. Like, that is that would be proper handcuff etiquette. Yeah. So he's a creep immediately. I mean, it's we should mention it's Carlo Gugino mm-hmm. uh, plays Jesse and Bruce Greenwood, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh they're both and, recognizable faces. Yeah, he's already like thirty years older than her, mm-hmm. and he's being so aggressive and like, like you said, like he's playing out a rape fantasy, and it's so off-putting because she's so scared, and immediately it was such a red flag. Even before he dies, we're like, oh, this is a bad guy. Yeah, and then he has his heart attack, and because the rest of the movie, it, it isn't him in character; it is her. Projection, projection of mm-hmm. what he would say. So it's her memories of him and her, I guess, like inclinations of what she didn't know about him, for yes. example, which yes. comes up a lot. And things he didn't know about her. Yeah. So there's times when uh, herself, her projection of herself, um, who is also a an interesting projection. She's braver. She's smarter. She's yeah. 
more on top of it. Like she's a, an ideal version of herself. Um, she'll, she starts bringing things up from, um, just his past and the projection of Gerald is surprised. Yes. He like didn't know these things. And so the big secret is that Jesse uh, was molested. I don't know what word to use for what molested, molested yeah. um, by her father uh, during a solar eclipse. During a solar eclipse, like she was eleven. Yeah, uh, and she sits on his lap, and horrible things happen. And then her father comes and talks to her, and is like, "We can't ever tell anybody. Uh, don't tell your mother." He he, it's he's actually awful. He's it's such awful, a monster. Yeah. The way that he's like, "No, we should tell her. I mean, she'll hate you, but." We have to tell her, but she's going to be so upset. It's probably going to ruin your relationship with her, but we need to tell her. Like, he's he's manipulating yeah. horribly. Um, and this was the first part of the movie where I was like, I'm so upset that this was the choice. To that, show it? To show it. Because we see the molestation. We see, all, we see scenes of the family doing other things, you know? Yeah. And it was the first point where I was like, this is so unnecessary. Like... This is so lazy to have, like, we need to reveal a secret, and instead of doing that in a, in a clever dialogue-style way where you could play off of, you know, Jesse or, you know, the, the Jess figure yeah. knowing and the Gerald figure not knowing, and you could do really interesting, like, dialogue choices instead that's like, no, no, just flashback. Just flashback show it. Flashback and just show it. Yeah. As if we want to see that. Like, it's just... Not only was it um, gross in that kind of like, uh, you know, we don't exploitative, need to, exploitative yeah. way. We don't need to see that. It was really narratively dumb to me. Yeah, I agree. Like you, like you said earlier, it, it's really interesting. I mean, that's what's so great about plays is that you have to like create dialogue to show to like to, to show something or tell something because you don't have flashbacks or things like yep. that. So like the fact that this movie did not have the guts to do that is like very frustrating to me no, I, I fully agree i think that the core of this movie has to be carla gugino's performance mm -hmm. and Which she does she, I think a, she great does a great job. job yeah she's tied to a bed for most of it but you see her like losing it a lot yeah. you know she's like you see her little by little just getting worse and worse and worse and i think that's what works best about this is that play between her trying to find what's left of her sanity so that she can survive this and mm -hmm. her and she projection has to of stay like yeah. on it. Her projection of Gerald sort of taunting her in various ways, and her projection of herself kind of uh, pep talking her. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best part of this movie. I'll go and ahead like, and say everything else is bad. Yeah, actually. and this thing is like the, the Moonlight Man acting as a metaphor for her impending death. We should explain this a little bit. So at some point, for some reason. Gerald starts talking about how she's going to die alone in the darkness and how people who die with someone else uh, are fine. But if you die alone, then the Moonlight Man comes to get you. And then she starts having visions of the Moonlight Man, who, like we said, is like this Frankenstein's monster lurch figure who yeah. has a, um, a sack full of shiny Trinkets, stuff and yeah. bones. Mm -hmm. And Gerald keeps... Again, not Gerald. The projection of Gerald keeps taunting her about how she's going to die alone and how they're never going to... The projection of Gerald keeps taunting her about how she's going to die alone and the Moonlight Man is going to steal her bones and her wedding ring. Yeah. What I do want to say about the Moonlight Man is that, like, there's a point where this will turn in the movie and we'll talk, we'll get to it, but as a metaphor for her death by starvation or by dehydration or whatever... Or it, by being eaten by a dog. Right. The, the impending death. 
does work for me a little bit. Not the way that he looks. If he looked different, maybe I would just, I would feel it was better. But there's, there is something there of like, if you are going to die and your death is approaching you from a mile away, the idea of like first seeing him in the corner and then he gets closer and closer. That metaphor does work for me. There's something to it for sure. It just doesn't pay off at all. No. Uh, well, especially because I think that the other problem that I have is that I thought the reason it didn't work for me mostly is because there's enough for her to contend with without this other figure, right? There are literal threats of starvation, and at one point she falls asleep and she loses blood in her uh, hands. Oh, yeah. Um, and she's losing her mind. Like, there's enough, and there's a dog who's eating Gerald and could come for her. There's enough to deal with that I didn't need a monster. We don't which need the, it, for the sure. The core of what this is, even if it's a metaphor... It isn't. It's literal. Even if it's a metaphor, it's still a monster in what I think works better as just, like, pure psychological horror, right? I don't we know. only need her losing her mind in this room. We don't need the threat of a, like, fairy tale story. I think I disagree with you, and that's okay. Like, I don't, you know, I, I actually don't feel the need to convince you on this. I think it's just different, like, strokes. Because, to me, without him, it's not a horror movie. Like, it wasn't scaring me at all. I wasn't... I didn't feel any kind of level of threat. I just kind of thought they were stupid. Yeah. And the image of him, like, she's looking into the corner, and it, this is where Flanagan does a great job, looking into the corner, and, like, it's that terrifying, like, being awake in the middle of the night feeling where you look at things and you're like, am I seeing something? Like, what is that? Yeah. And then he becomes more real, and then he steps out of the shadows, like... That was really well done to me. I thought that was great. And it was it very well them. shot. It freaked me out so bad. I think that's testament to what Flanagan makes work, because there's a scene later, it's sort of a hybrid of she's remembering this eclipse. It's after she escapes. She's remembering the eclipse and the molestation as she's driving away from this cabin to mm-hmm. get uh, medical attention. And the way that that scene is shot is incredibly striking and vivid and really well done Mm -hmm. but it's stupid when you like actually break it down what's happening in that scene it's it's dumb and i think what we'll we'll keep coming back to is that by all accounts this is a faithful retelling of the stephen king book Mm -hmm. and i think this just has every flaw that a stephen king piece of content does yes and it is it's the most stephen king ass movie because it has all of his flaws. Well, can we talk about that also? Because yeah. this is the other note that I had written down. Um, is that, the, like, as much as I want this movie to be more dialogue heavy, the dialogue is so painful. It's a rough It's rough so unbelievably misogynistic. Yep. The, there's a whole long metaphor about the dog. The dog always keeps getting brought back into it as if it's like, you know, Gerald's going to do what he's going to do, just like the dog is going to do what he's going to do. So it's like, okay, you know, we've established that, like, dog is men and women is meat, specifically. Women is meat. And then there's a horrifying metaphor that it's Jesse's projection saying to her, this, like, the dog had meat and then it had Gerald, just like your father had your mother and then you. Comparing her, like, 11-year-old like just is going currently going through puberty self to a piece of meat yep. that, or like to a, to a dead body that a dog is going to eat. Well, it's fresher meat. It's not that it's dead body. It's that it's fresher meat. It's fresher meat. meat. It's disgusting. Yeah. I was literally floored by this. Well, not just that because it's, it is disgusting, but the step further that this movie takes it is that 
the point of her trauma is that she never moved past that day and that it took her marrying this older man and having him die on top of her for her to realize that like she is attracted to bad men or something like the metaphor doesn't hold up right yeah her punishing herself for that day or whatever is a is a is a bad and lazy conceit in in 2017 yeah right but it it even it thinks it's being really progressive though because it thinks oh. that it's empowering her somehow, there's a, right? There's a line that's like, oh, you you married into the only dynamic you've ever known, which is the dog meat dynamic, yeah, apparently. Just, no, it's a, it's a really bad script, and I think that... And I blame uh, Stephen King. I blame Stephen King. I blame yeah. Stephen King wholly and completely for being a misogynist. <laughs> we should say while we're talking about this that the epilogue, we need to get into the details of. So yeah. she, she breaks free and gets in a car and drives away, crashes into a tree... But get saved. But get saved. The way I, that she, we should say this also, she's like bleeding out. She, uh, the way that she gets out of the handcuffs is that she cuts her wrist so deeply that she can like shimmy out of the handcuff because by like one, using blood as lube and two, because her, the skin of her arm is, has come loose. So like she can get out of just with just her bones and tendons. Yep. It is a nightmare. Again, why did you show me these things? Like it's very well shot. Communicate. There's a lot of better tension. things. It's yeah. Again, I think that there Mick Finnegan's doing the best with what he he's has. doing. Yes, he's doing a good job. He has. There's there is a good moment where we it's through another flashback. We see her break a glass, and in that moment, I knew that's how she was going to get free. And that's a that's always a nice yeah. like. It's not quite foreshadowing because it's immediate, but it's like symbolic of like yeah. As she remembers things, it is a it is the most powerful part of this movie in that it's about taking your traumas and like saving yourself with them. Right. It's through this memory of breaking a glass when she was an 11 year old that she's able to save herself now. And that is a powerful sentiment. So once she gets free and once she's recuperated, she writes a letter to her younger self. She literally sits down and writes a letter. Writes it. uh, You and your sonless world. uh, About how like, her father's shackles were silence and Gerald's were comfort or some shit. That's a line from this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then it takes a turn to say, and they never found my wedding ring because it turns out there was a serial killer in the area. Yeah, he, he was, was real a, all along. He was a necrophiliac magpie killer and he actually was in that house and he let me live for some reason. Uh, but they caught him, and I went to his arraignment. Yeah, and that's the most unbelievably ridiculous scene, because the last thing she says to him in the house, when she gives him the wedding ring, like, I guess in her head thinking, like, that she has to pay him River Sticks style, yeah. yeah, like, so that she can be free, um, she says, you're not real, you're only made of moonlight to him, and then when he sees her at the arraignment, she walks down the aisle and says something dramatic, like, stop, or like... No, she says, you're smaller than I remember. No, 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 that's what happens first, he says, he, one, breaks his handcuffs, and I was like, wait, is there another hour of this movie where he hunts her down and kills her? Uh, breaks his handcuffs, goes... You're not real. You're only made of moonlight. And then as they're, like, trying to wrestle him back down, like, there's a potentially a worry that, like, he is actually going to attack her. Like, yeah. he's happy to see her in one of those kind of weird, twisted, like, is he happy to see her because he's going to murder her? And they're, the guards are wrestling him. And then she walks up to him and he becomes her father and Gerald. Is there a third person? 
Or is it just her father and no, Gerald? No, it's father Gerald. She, he, his face becomes her father, his face becomes Gerald, and then she goes, you're smaller than I remember. And then that breaks him. Like, he's bro- he's a broken man because she says that to him, and she wins for women everywhere. And then she walks out of the courtroom into the sunlight. Yep. Uh, it's it's beyond stupid. It's so dumb. In part it because super angry. it doesn't make any sense. No, it makes no sense. Why would he say... Oh, he, he hadn't said a word since he'd been arrested. He'd been totally silent. Yes. And then she shows up at the arraignment and he... Well, it's what it's, it feels like what they were trying to do is a concept that belongs in a different movie, which is that victims and their you know pursuers or killers or whatever can have a very interesting relationship in film that like if we if this movie was just about that right it was just about jesse and the moonlight man and he'd been hunting her and they were trying to create something where he had like built so much up on her and he had like given her things or he was trying to like make her his wife or make her his daughter if we knew more about his motivations and we knew that she could actually say those words to him and break him, then that's a different movie. It doesn't make any sense in this movie. It's completely tacked on at the end that, like, she's, write- she's writing this letter, and then she's like, oh, yeah, so then there was Raymond Jobert, the Crypt Keeper, who they found and was real, and yeah. it makes no sense that he was in that house. No. It's completely related. They even talk about how, like, he was in a completely different state. He usually like operated elsewhere. For some reason, he was there. He wound up here, yeah. Like even in the in, in the script of the movie that was written, it does not make sense. Oh no, they're in Louisiana. I just remembered that. Oh, I just remember there's because he's in Mississippi or something, and then he has traveled to to Louisiana because the last scene takes place in Baton Rouge. You are right. Um, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But it is apparently extremely faithful to the Stephen King novel. Yes. The the one that, that really made me think about it, and you mentioned this um, actually right after we watched it, is there the the scene that everybody talks about in this movie, and it's you know it's if you Google it, it's like the first picture that shows up. And uh, did you scream out loud when this happened? Yes. Yeah. So did I. And um, it's that she's she's coming out of one of her flashbacks, and she looks out at the foot of the bed, and the Moonlight Man is licking her toes. Um, but then when she like starts, it becomes the dog. And so, what are they trying to say there? Like, were some of the times she hallucinated him just hallucinations? Or was that just the one hallucination? Or was he actually there? Like, what? You can't do something like that where he's clearly a phantom and then be like, he was real the whole time. Because he wasn't. He wasn't. At least one time, he was a phantom. A hallucination. So, like, now what are we supposed to believe? I mean, the only reason that he was there is because of... The bloody footprint on the floor, which she right. stares at at one point when Gerald is taunting her about the Moonlight Man. Yeah, about how uh, real her wedding he is. ring was lost, and this guy in court says the things that she said. He to like her. he recognizes her. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, because uh, yes, I I agree. What I wish had happened if they were if they wanted to actually do this yeah. plot thing. Um, what makes more sense would be that she like saw that somewhere. Like she read an article about it before she went to the cabin. Yes, and then like projected that was just another projection of her fear that she created this moonlight man like in her head because also he has glowing red eyes for yeah but he doesn't in real life obviously like he's just a person he has uh acromegaly but like he's uh, a person i mean this comes back to our constant discussion on this podcast which is like the um villainization of physically physically deformed people um 
And this is really funny, though. I do want to mention this. Uh, the whole time in the movie, I was going, he looks just like Lurch from uh, the yeah, Adams family. family. And then I looked it up, and the guy who plays him actually does play Lurch. But they made him look more freaky Yeah, he has also. prosthetics. So he, the actor is oh, actually like super, super big. Yeah, uh, he's really tall. But he doesn't have the elongated forehead and the big yes. chin. He looks like Lurch. Like, you can all picture Lurch from the Adams Family, who just looks tall and has a long face, but nope. doesn't look like... They gave this guy acromegaly to make him look scary, and it's gross. Yeah. It's, it's gross. It's, yeah, we've, we've been over it before. It's not something we ever condone in horror movies. Especially, especially when it when they put prosthetics on, because the only time we've ever had an experience where they didn't do that right was Baskin, Baskin. Um, and we really went back and forth on that one because that was like if that man wants to work, and that man was he said he was extremely he was excited really about excited it, yeah. about it. If he wants to act and, and and like own his deformities in order to like play a really terrifying character, then like that's not our business to tell him he yep. shouldn't do that. But when they're accentuating and creating physical deformities to be scary, that's when it's like, fuck you a little bit. I was really let down by this movie. Me too. I really wanted more from it. Yeah. I think I should have known, given Mike Flanagan has a kind of hit or miss track record. Spotty, yeah. Especially now we're starting to realize that maybe even when he brings something like talent and vision to a project, it, it's not going to save it. Right, something like Ouija: Origin of Evil, right, works in parts and other times is just kind of incoherent. Yeah, uh, and Before I Wake was not a failure, right? It yeah, just wasn't just good. good. Yeah, um, it's just strange because again, two of his movies are two of my favorite yep. horror movies of all time. Uh, they are more original works, so there that is part of it that he like just can't adapt. Maybe yeah, but Before I Wake was original, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. There, there, there's no rules or consistency to Mike Flanagan's, uh, you know, works, but Hush and Oculus are incredible, and I guess we'll always have Paris in that way, I guess, yeah, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Maybe this could have never been more, but I'm let that anyway. Maybe, like, it was always going to be held back by the source material. Yes. I mean, someone would have to really rewrite it and then abandon that epilogue. This is the problem with Stephen King, right, is that, like... Stephen King has the sparks of such great ideas, and then he does a bunch of cocaine and writes nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he he like it's pretty classic that he doesn't always stick the landing, and he I, very rarely does. In fact, yeah, and I feel like looking at his his fiction versus his like the adaptations of his movies, the best ones are ones that took a lot of liberties. Yeah, that he hates. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Castle know. Rock is great, though. Castle Rock is currently great. airing on Hulu. It's really good. It'll end the week that people hear this. Oh, dang. Yeah. Everyone should catch up on Castle Rock. I know we, we're we not paid by Netflix, so we can uh, talk about Hulu. <laughs> uh, Netflix, start paying us if you want us to like your shit. Castle Rock is good enough that it doesn't even have to be a Stephen King story, but it's kind of cool that it but is. But it's fun that it is. It's interesting. There's like, you get to see like, the fun Easter eggs without actually having to like consume Stephen King content. I say that like, I I don't know. I've only actually read one Stephen King book, and it was the longest book of my entire life. The Tommyknockers? The Tommyknockers, um, which I only read because one time you told me the Tommyknockers were coming, and it scared me so much that I, like, almost started crying. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so I read the book, and it turns out it was scarier just when you told me that the Tommyknockers yep. were coming than the entire experience of reading that book. That's often true of Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just talking about it. Just like, no, it's Stephen King's just always better when uh, relayed by another person. Yeah, it's true. Are you ready to tie this to a bed and let it die, let it fester? Ew, I guess. I don't want to eat it. That would make us the dog. I don't want to eat it either. What about what if we have a heart? Let it live in a sunless world forever. See, that's potentially kind of gross because that's like uh, the molestation world. Molestation, molestation yeah. survivors live in a sunless world, according to this movie. Ooh. So I don't like that. Let's just let it have a heart attack. Can we also say that the the um, uh, how do I describe this? The coloring, the like contrast, is really bad uh, in the eclipse world. Yeah. Like, wha- this is a professional film paid for by Netflix, and they can't, like, properly color the film? Yeah. It's really bad. I mean, it's, on per- it's an effect. If I noticed that, though, but, like, it, but it's a it's an eighth grade effect. It's yeah. like, it's like when you get a MacBook for the first time and you can, like, use Photo Booth. It is like that. Flanagan. Why don't you pull up that roulette? And we were so excited for this, but let's, let's try again. <laughs> All right. Ready to spin it? I'm ready. Our next movie will be... Tusk. If you don't know what this is, we should not... Okay, I'm not going to look at it. I was just checking to make sure it was still on Netflix. I still haven't seen this, despite Friend of the Pod, James Skosky, getting me trying to get me to watch it for five years now. Oh, Skosky's going to be excited. Uh, this is a Kevin Smith horror film. His okay. second, after Red State, which is actually pretty good. I actually like Red State. Yeah, I like Red State. Uh... This is bonkers, but if you don't know anything, I don't want to say I don't anything. know anything. I just saw that... Is that Haley Joel Osment's in it? Yeah. Okay. That's the only thing that I saw. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's a good movie. It could be a disaster. But we can have fun talking about it, Yeah. Maybe? All right. I want you to be surprised. All right. I'm going to do it. So our next episode will be on Tusk. Tusk. Uh, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. We'll... Just think about Fleetwood Mac for, for two weeks. Great. Until then, you can find us out. You can find us on our... You can do the... Uh, yeah. Until then, check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at nowscreaming. Give us a shout on, on Twitter. Uh, tell Give your friends. Give us a shout. Yeah. Give us a... Send us a... Send us a... What are they called on Mastodon? What? A twat? No, what are they? What are they called on Mastodon? I didn't know they were called something different. Twats? We don't have Mastodon, though. No, we don't. I don't want Mastodon. I don't want Mastodon either. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. We love new friends. We love new friends. More than anything in the world. More than anything? More Except than Wes Craven? Wes Craven. <laughs> and thank you, Wes Craven, for... Writing women. Writing women well. Writing women well. I feel like that's what this comes Not back to Not comparing women to meat. On this podcast is that Wes Craven writes women well and stories well and is yeah. just... Yeah. For never adapting Stephen King. Interesting. He just wrote his own incredible yeah. shit. Yeah. Thanks, Wes Craven. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.